Coming soon to a city near you, Vinitaly Roadshow. Have you ever wondered how to attend Vinitaly for free? Are you a wine trade professional interested in a sponsored trip to Vinitaly International Academy or Vinitaly, the wine and spirits exhibition? Coming soon to Princeton, New Jersey, Harlem, New York, and Chinatown in New York City, Cardiff in Wales, London in England, and Roost in Austria. We'll be giving away our new textbook, Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0. Find out more about these exciting events and for details on how to attend, go to liveshop.vinitaly.com. Limited spots available. Sign up now. We'll see you soon. Welcome to The Next Generation. I'm Victoria Chancha. Join me as we chat with young Italian wine people shaking up the wine scene. We're going to geek out on a grape or grape fam and then hear about all the wild wine things our guests have been up to, from vineyard experiments to their favorite wine bars. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Next Generation Podcast. Today, we are celebrating Sunday with San Giovese, a little trip to Tuscany with our interviewee today, Mr. William Goldschmidt of Corsano e Paterno, and also his special little project, Clivo Altura, which we will get to shortly. Most importantly, though, we are going to talk about the grape that he loves oh so dearly and one of the driving factors in his special project, San Giovese, one of the most important grapes in the world, arguably. I mean, it's some say it's the most important grape in Italy. In fact, this book in front of me says it, the new Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 in my hands, fresh off the press. We're going to read a little bit about San Giovese from this book because there's a lot. Well, you can get the book, right? Right? Are you guys ready? So here's some facts about San Giovese. So like I said, one of the most important if not the most important Italian wine grape. It's produced in every single region in Italy, except for the Alsta Valley, which is in the northwestern corner of Italy, and then the northeastern corner of Italy, Trentino Alto Adige. So those two regions, no Sangiovese. It's most prominent in Tuscany, La Marca, and Emilia-Romagna, and DNA studies regarding its parentage have discovered Strinto Porcino as a possibility. But there are various other scenarios that aren't really conclusive yet. Sangiovese being such a noble and ancient grape, itself as a parent, has a relationship with tons of other Italian grapes, further bolstering its status as a grape of great importance and a long history in the country. So it has relationships with grapes in Sicily. It has multiple biotypes, so the most notable being Sangiovese Piccolo and Sangiovese Grosso. And there are many, many others that you can discover. Historically, Sangiovese has a written documentation that dates it only as far back as the 16th century. The name has potential references to San Cristove, Blood of Jupiter, and San Giovanese, San Giovanni or St. John, whose celebration day coincides with the summer solstice. So we got San Giovese summer and Sunday. All the S's. That said, San Giovese has a lot of synonyms, including Brunello, San Giovetto, Brugnolo Gentile, Morellino, and Mialuccio. And just to clarify, Brunello, San Giovetto, not Brunello, San Giovetto. Separate. So what's it like in the glass? The tasting profiles for Sangiovese do vary based on where it's grown and how it's vinified. But generally, Sangiovese wines exhibit medium ruby appearance and primary aromas are red cherry, followed by licorice, tomato leaf, and violet, or herbal aromas. And then more aged examples of Sangiovese can take on leather and tar characteristics. The wine can have medium-high tannin with powdery mouthfeel, high acidity, medium to full body. Sangiovese is a very fresh red wine. And of course... It falls under many DOCs and DOCGs, and many that you know, of course, one being Chianti Classico and Chianti 
io sigi la mia grossa di Montalcino, rossa di Montepulciano, via Brunello di Montalcino, vino nobile di Montepulciano, Orlino di Scanzano, and then those are all in Tuscany, and then moving on to the market, Conero, Rosso Conero, Rosso Piceno, Mio Romagna, Romagna di Osi. So, yeah, I think that's a good overview. We're going to move on to a very, very smooth, hopefully, <laughs> interview with Mr. William Goldschmidt, and I'm going to have him hop on. Ciao, William. Welcome to the Next Generation podcast. How are you? Hello, hello. Thank you for inviting me. How's it hanging? Where are you right now? Are you in Are you in Tuscany? At the moment, I'm in Tuscany. Yeah, exactly. In uh, like half an hour south from Florence. It's uh, I'm in the office of my the farm of my family at the moment. So it's 9 p.m. So I just put the kids to bed and uh, jumped in the office, and here we are. <laughs> so what have you been up to lately now it's january it's you know the the month everyone doesn't really like <laughs> yeah actually actually i i i do like because it's it's quite it's quite uh a chill moment not really for me at the moment but generally for the for the life cycle of the of the vines i think it's a it's a moment we are preparing for bottling but it's pretty much with pruning and pruning is a type of work that it's, it's definitely more relaxing because it takes, it takes a couple of months. It's not something that you have to really rush, like bad cleaning or, you know, just like in the high season during spring and summer where you have to really run after the vegetation. But actually now I'm, I'm in between two projects. I mean, I'm between uh, here and the, in the family farm that I came back in uh, 2018. I finished my studies in 2013 up in Piedmont. I studied viticulture and enology. It's It takes like three years and then it took three years for me. Then, you know, it's, it's people takes four or five years, but it's, if you do it straight away, it takes three years. And then after that, I traveled for four or five years working in several wineries around the world. So pretty much doing a couple of harvests a year, sometimes even three. And now I'm back home and I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm in between. I divide my time in between here, my family estate and, uh, this new project that I started in uh, 2019. That's quite a challenging project. 45 minutes from here. So here in where am I at the moment? The family farm, it's, uh, in San Casciano Val di Pesa. So we are right in the border of the Chianti Classico. And this new project, it's definitely, it's in the Chianti Classico. It's, uh, looking the map of Tuscany is going further south towards Siena. And it's totally a different uh, environment. When I came back here in 18, back in my farm, after one year, I realized that I wanted to find something, <clears throat> a side project that could, you know, just could put me in a more in a challenging position. So uh, I was looking for some vineyard to rent at the beginning. And um, because buy some, just buy some grapes, it's a bit more complicated here in Tuscany. Uh, you can find good grapes, you can find grapes, but it's difficult to find organic good grapes, good quality grapes. Uh, there's not a lot of tradition of a uh, grower that then sell uh, the grapes in good quality and organic. 
It's not like it could be, you know, in Burgundy or in, in some place in the New World countries like Australia or South Africa. So it's a bit more complicated. So the best thing if you want to have good, good grapes is it's rather to cultivate, to rent a vineyard. Actually, so you deal with, uh, with the vineyard and, uh, and then you pick your own grapes. So I was looking for that, but then, uh, ended up that um, there was this occasion of this land 45 minutes from here. And it was quite of a crazy land. It is a crazy land because it's, uh, here in where I'm, where my family farm is, we are around 300 meters above the sea levels and there it's, uh, nearly 600. So it's definitely higher. And, um, it's a whole like north face slope, uh, with pretty much 45 terraces. And with terraces, I mean, each terrace has all the drywall stone keeping up the terraces. And it's quite a traditional old uh, school way of uh, doing agriculture here in Tuscany. Then it got lost in the 80s and 90s because people really, I mean, they couldn't really handle the cost of maintaining this land. And they probably at that time, they didn't realize the higher quality that this land could, could give in terms of grapes and wine. So they were totally abandoned. And... Uh, and yeah, so it was quite a good occasion and I, I just bravely jumped in this new project. And, um, and so now it's taking me quite a lot of time because it was completely abandoned. So it was 20 years abandoned. And, um, and yeah, it took, it's, it's taking a lot to just bring it back. Lots of cleaning, lots of building drywall stone. So that's what I'm actually doing in these weeks. It's uh, constantly building, building drywall stones to try to bring back the kind of life that had this land. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's quite of a tough work, but it's, it's definitely a lot of satisfaction to see slowly, slowly this tribal zone coming back. And it's, it's, it's really challenging. It's, uh, it, there's no vines. I mean, I planted, uh, next year is going to be the first harvest. So I planted around 1.5 hectares at the moment. The, and, um, and yeah, the first uh, planting was in in nineteen, sorry, in twenty. So next year we'll have the first kind of small harvest. So that's going to be quite exciting because it's it's yeah it's you know when you don't really know I, I I didn't know that much that area before purchasing this land. So I think there's nothing better than understanding land, making growing grapes and transforming the grapes into wine. So. You, we really try kind of to see how, what is the expression, which is going to be quite exciting next year. So does that make you more of the rebel in the family then? Because I noticed that um, you have quite the lineage of not just wine producers, but producers in general. I think your website needs a family tree, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is definitely really complicated. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm not really the rebel. I mean, I think it's... Um, it's it's a big family. So at the moment, my dad used to make wine until uh, 2005. Then uh, um, my cousin, Arianna, the daughter of uh, Vendel, the one that bought the farm in the 70s, uh, she, she stepped over um, because also she studied enology. And, you know, my father uh, helped to build a new winery and then uh, left her. Uh, his face to Ariana and now she's making amazing wine. And I think, you know, when 
like wine making wine is like it's 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 like you know drawing a pain and and it's it's it has to be at the end one person that really follows and decide uh, where he wants that wine to go even if we are a family and we all decide in a way the big decision the blendings and the you know just just before bottling some some changes or some we all decide but then day by day uh, i think you need one person that really follows follows has that kind of uh, role you know and um so when i came back home i had all this energy from all this past experience that i had and i felt that i had to some way express it making wine as well for myself and uh and yeah, so I think I ended up that was the main reason. And I actually think that this new project is gonna be is gonna help a lot me to also bring new stuff as well back home because it's really challenging. And when you're like in a family farm, we have around twenty employees here. So, you know, it's sometimes it's everything is going. It's my father did a lot in the past, you know, since the seventies to, to create with my mom, with my cousin, but to create something that it's really going not by itself, but it's it's quite a solid uh, solid farm. So I think I'm learning much more now in this new project that it's I have to buy all the machines, I have to deal with lots of stuff that probably you know I wouldn't deal here in the farm. So it's 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 a new challenge, and yeah, it's a bit difficult at the moment. To really uh, find the balance between the two, but it's uh, I think now it's it's important that this new project takes a lot of time for me because it's 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 you know I'm planting new vineyards, so you really have to do care a lot more when the small plants and it's the beginning. And I'm not I'm not uh, I don't have a, a, a like. Uh, absolutely essential role here in my family farm. I'm important. I'm taking care more of the of the sales. That uh, it's um, something that I'm doing more and more. So traveling to America and working with the importers. But it's not something that if I'm not here in the farm, you know, people don't know what to do. So that's that's for me. It's it's quite important at the moment because <laughs> otherwise I wouldn't be able to do this new project. So we'll see. We'll see in the future how it goes. I mean, oh, super interesting. But it's um, yeah, no, it's definitely really exciting. And is that is that why your English is so good, and that you have definitely not an Italian name? Is <laughs> it all the time you spend in America now? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, actually, my mom she's she's half uh, she's half English. Ah. So yeah, I actually have four nationalities. So what happened? A lot here in Tuscany in the seventies. It's there used to be a lot of immigration of kind of brave uh, people that came here in Tuscany to change their life or to invest as well. And that was uh, the uncle of my father that came here in the seventies and actually bought the farm that I was in a slightly abandoned condition. I'm talking about my family farm, and um, and so yes, I mean. It, the situation here in in Tuscany in the seventies was was it seems it was it was difficult to understand when I 
tell to people. I mean, I wasn't here, but when people told me about that, that it was really back in time. We used to have this uh, contadini here in the farms or mezzadri. So there were people that only the three couples here in Corzano and uh, only one person could read and uh, write. Uh, so they were really kind of high with a high ignorance in terms of uh, cultural, but amazing workers. And uh, so the classic type of contract here in Tuscany was um, it used to be this um, crop sharing contract. So there was the nobility, uh, then there was the person in between the nobility and the contadini, the, the workers that was dealing a bit in between, uh, he was a bit, the communication gap between the two. And then there were this contadini that were working here in the family, in the farm and maintaining, and maintaining the land and half of their salary, it was half of the crop. So, and this kind of contract kept going until the second world war, but it was kind of stretched until the sixties pretty much because of course the nobility, they were super happy to have, to keep going this this kind of contract because it was, I mean, it was for them, it was the perfect solution to keep maintain this land. But these workers started to kind of get a bit more rebel and they wanted to move in the town, in the villages nearby because all these workers, of course, they didn't have cars, but they had mules and uh, to go around. And it sounds quite crazy because it was, I mean, it was, not even 50 years ago so and yeah so what happened actually uh it's that when the the nobility realized that all these workers moved in the villages and didn't want to work anymore they didn't know this nobility people they didn't know how to maintain this land and uh you leave this kind of environment for four or five years without really maintaining it it just get really fast and in the bad condition so they started to sell this land for kind of cheap i mean cheap at that time it wasn't that cheap but if you see it now it was definitely a great deal and um so a lot of english people swiss people a lot of people from outside they they saw this kind of uh, they had the vision they saw this kind of occasion and they they came down and that was the uncle of my father the came down already in the 60s but then in the 70s he he bought the farm and everything started from there and so after that my mom from england came to visit a friend uh, she was living here and met my father and so actually my father is half swiss half dutch and my mom she's half english and half italian so it's kind of an interesting mix but i mean i grew up here i was born here in, in italy and i I grew up here in the farm, so it's, uh, I definitely cons- consider myself a bit Italian. Then definitely a good mix. Well, you're you're clearly bringing back the the contadino in that sense with your new project, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is so important, and it's it's something that's happening in Chianti in Chianti Classico, um, more particularly slowly but surely. Um, and another reason I was really excited to have you on on the podcast today because you know we we all know what everyone thinks like Chianti and Chianti Classico whereas there's pretty much like um you know the knowledge of let alone just the DOCG and then um what the history of it is it to the average consumer is pretty minimal I mean you know and I think having younger voice like younger energy in the area is kind of 
slowly but surely turning things around. Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely it's definitely really rare uh, for several reasons. But it's, uh, I mean, the cost of land, uh, the Chianti Classico is getting, it's getting more and more fashionable. So everywhere, so course, it's not as as trendy as Montalcino, but it's because it has so much diversity and uh, complexity, and um, and people also getting more confident about winemaking and culti- and also vine growing and. And so they actually, there's definitely more wines with, with personality. Here in the 90s, uh, 80s, 90s here in Tuscany, it was quite controlled by a, a lot by consultants. So there were like several consultants that they were really powerful and they were really uh, putting their style into, into several projects, into several wineries. And uh, one of the reasons is because a lot of people they didn't know how to make wine, so they completely trust these consultants that they really, you know, put their their style. So we we lost a bit of uh, of, of personality, and also the consortium of Chianti Classico now. It's, I think it's going in the right direction. We had this new subdivision. Uh, it's called Uga, but a bit of weird name. It's like. Uh, it's like ubicazione geografica giunta. Um, to make it clear, is actually like it's it's a bit of a, a, a better subdivision of um, of of the Chianti Classico. So, for example, Valiagli, where this new land that I bought, it's uh, under the Castelnuovo Berardenga Comune. But Valiagli, it's definitely, for example, it's much more near to Radda and uh, Castellina in terms of distances. And the soil is really different from a lot of Castelnuovo-Verdenga area. So they actually did a new Uga that's called Valiagli that, of course, is still underneath Castelnuovo-Verdenga, but it has its own identity. So that's, that's, I think, that's the direction, the good direction that people, that the consortium is going through and uh, to to you know, to educate us, the producer, and to educate as well the customers to make it a bit more interesting, and uh, talking a bit more of Sangiovese from different soils, because Chianti Classico soil it's a really old old soil. We're talking about between fifteen to thirty millions years ago, and it's uh, it has so much complexity. So you can really drive. Five ten minutes, and you, you can see from the altitude, from the exposure, from the type of origin of soil, and it changes a lot. So it's really good that we starting to make make the differences. And uh, and yeah, going back with young producer, it's 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 difficult in Tuscany because well, because there's this success, there is a lot of uh, a lot of wineries are really hungry. In terms of, uh, as soon there is some land or some, some, you know, some new project or they just in, in globe, they just buy and they get bigger and bigger. That's a bit of a classic uh, everywhere thing. But so you, it's difficult for a young producer to, to just step, step out. I mean, and, and to start a new project like, like I'm doing. I mean, there's a lot of, of course, situation with new generation in terms of sun, like, like you know, they they, they keep keep going what the past generation did, and they keep working 
in the in the farm and they keep uh, you know just challenging themselves but to start a new project for just from from scratch it's really difficult and especially also for me that I have the support of my farm um, the family farm I I'm gonna bring the grapes here in the winery um the here in the farm so i mean i have lots of help even for me it's it's in terms of cost it's in terms of um, of knowledge it, it it requires a lot of effort and a lot of knowledge so it's and 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 yeah and it's it's difficult so it's not really it's not really a happy thing but it's it's like that it's 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 difficult enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local food, and taking in the scenery. Now back to the show. Yeah, well, I, I, I completely understand that. It's, I mean, it's one of the most pop. It, it, yeah, it's one of the most popular wine regions in Italy, if not the world, to an extent. Um, oh yes, and it, the yeah. land. I mean, it's funny that you're saying you're like it's becoming fashionable, when I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's very fashionable <laughs> already. But I know what you mean in the sense of people turning their eyes from, like, you know, away from Brunello and going to Chianti Classico because the quality is this is the same uh, if not better and it's it's at a different price point obviously and there's more but but to step away a little bit from the you know DOCG talk because we can talk up all that and google it but and I also want to say for any american listeners the uga you'd probably read as uga it sounds less sexy in american english that's what he's referring to but again we're not going to dive into that because you can google it um, make people do their research because William's talking enough. <laughs> so your project, Clevo Altura, first harvest is next fall, 2023. I can't even say those words out loud. It's crazy. 2023 is here. Let's learn a little bit more about you, William. Um, the funny thing is I'm happy that I'm interviewing you because I finally know which brother is the one that's on the wine side because I was confused before this. Now I know. <laughs> Tell us more about you working with your family. You know, what's up? Like, it's, 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 it's amazing. I mean, I have an, uh, an incredibly open family that always uh, supported me also traveling around and uh, they were never like kind of studying in Piedmont. I was work, I was studying with several uh, son of producer and, uh, and, you know, probably because in Piedmont, they're sometimes a bit more kind of close-minded. Probably, is, I don't want to be offensive, but it's, and so. You can be offensive. I saw a, I saw, <laughs> I saw a lot of, uh, you know, sons coming out from uh, university and going directly working the family farm. And, and you know, when, once you get into that kind of cycle and uh, you get definitely more essential, more you work there, you get more important, you get more responsibilities. and definitely it's difficult is more difficult is to step back you know and uh, i think one of the most beautiful thing about uh, the the wine world it's it's the the all this this beautiful world of the traveling winemakers club kind of community that it's uh, 
each winery, like us, every harvest, uh, every year, we need extra help. And if it's uh, uh, people that study, knowledgeable people that has this passion from outside Germany, Australian, American, and we're we're happy to to get them in the team, and that's and that's amazing. So you have a lot of uh, work opportunities around the world, and uh, and that's amazing because it's you really can travel around different cultures and learn about different culture through working with people from there, and also you work with other interns that has your same passion. So I think it's the best learning process. Definitely much, much better than university. And uh, and so I was glad that my family just was was clever enough to just understand this. And uh, and so I, I did this four or five years of constantly traveling and working different wineries. And um, and so yeah, I was really glad that they they understood that and uh, and they and they understood that and they supported me as well. You know? And so when I came back home. I had a lot of, you know, this crazy energy and uh, and uh, to bring back and new tips, new interesting stuff, you know. Just then, I worked a lot with Pinot Noir, so it was really, you know, just trying to do a lot of stuff with Sangiovese. But then you have to get back and understand that you're in a different context, and uh, you just have to, you know, adapt slowly, slowly in um, what's going on here. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I have an amazing, amazing, I mean, I feel really at home and my family, it's just it's super open, always we share a lot. And uh, now also my twin brother, I have a twin brother, <laughs> identical, that he also came back in uh, 2018 here in the farm and he followed more what my mom did that uh, it's creating this uh making cheese pretty much and uh, because this farm uh, i haven't told you but we produce wine mainly but we are really definitely most famous for for cheeses we have around 600 sheep from sardinia that they arrive here in the 80s i mean at the beginning they were of course like 20 and then slowly they got they got they bigger and bigger and so now we have around 600 sheep and then we have a stable, we have a dairy. So we milk at the moment, we milk every morning and every evening uh, around 400 sheep. And uh, we transform all here in the farm. We have a little shop. So, and my brother stepped in this kind of, first of all, he was working the stable. Now he's doing stable and dairy and so on. He's doing an amazing. I mean, I think uh, so both coming back in the farm it was it was great because we supported you know each other a lot and it's important in this you know big family context as it's it's we're really strong in general but sometimes of course there's a lot of as well emotions coming through you know that's never that easy sometimes to rationalize and to and to separate from work family work so it's it's <laughs> can be sometimes a bit sketchy and uh, but but yeah that's i mean um, i think um personally uh when i came back it was a bit more difficult between my father and my cousin to find a a position but i think now i'm just uh, perfectly slowly slowly getting more on the sales in the farm and because it, of course it's important to 
especially in family, uh, to have roles, good, I mean, specific roles, so you can, you know, you feel responsible of something, and um, and then of course it's all connected. But still, if you have one role, it's it's important, I think, especially when you have, you know, lots of families, lots of workers, to feel a bit more more happy of what you're doing and more. Be more satisfaction, you know. So you seem very happy with your life. That's good. I, I, I am. I am. I am. I'm, I'm pretty much. I'm really tired because it's difficult to manage. In the meantime, I mean, uh, in nineteen, when I purchased this new land, my first kid called Zeno was born, and then, and then one year and a half later, Eva Rose, my second daughter, was. Was born, so it's it's been this like kind of COVID uh, <laughs> period. It was really really challenging in terms of uh, not not for the COVID that we actually really lucky here in the countryside, but in terms of you know all this stuff coming in my life all together, and I'm I was used to be a bit more kind of wild traveling around without a lot of force, and and then when I came back home. Happily, I decided to just, you know, just put some roots with, uh, with my partner, Julia, that she's also an, um, an enologist. So she will also join me happily in uh, this new project when the kids are going to be a bit more settled down with schools and everything. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a good, good. I'm, I mean, I'm building some good, uh, solid stuff for the future. So I'm definitely really happy. Tired but happy. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the motto: is tired but happy. At least you're you're January. Um, yeah, I, I probably. I mean, I think that it's just so incredible that first of all, you guys you have the wine, you have the cheese, you have also an agri turismo. So for anyone that knows, you can come and visit them at well, not at your project yet, of course. Well, maybe you'll get a special tour. I can't promise anything. That's up to Williams. But um, at Corzano and at Paterno, you can you can go visit. But it really, I mean, you shared so much. I, I'm so grateful to learn so, so much from you and to talk about your projects. And also, you have I didn't even know you have two kids. It's so special. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. No, it's 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 a pleasure. I mean, it's uh, it's good that you're doing this 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 amazing thing. I mean, also it's it's nice to to hear the young generation speaking about wine and how they actually fit inside their families because it's not it's not always easy for sure i mean uh, here it's 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 going really well but uh, i know a lot of friends that they you know just struggling as well because i mean if you see on, on paper they have everything you know a lot of colleagues from university didn't have this opportunity they were like uh, you're so lucky you're so lucky but you know, some people, they didn't really want to do that, but they feel forced. Uh, and uh, a lot of people, they probably, you know, they just want to do it, but they, they they don't feel comfortable and because a lot of pressure, you know. And so it's 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 quite an interesting, uh, this transition between the generation. It's it's quite an interesting topic. I think it's uh, it's a great topic. Absolutely, and and like we touched on throughout the interview, it's you know there's certain 
everyone enters the industry in, in, from different avenues and in different places. And the traveling winemaker thing, I'm learning myself through the through this next generation series. It's very much a trend. It's a really awesome one. Um, inspiring. I think one person I interviewed recently has like hashtag traveling winemaker as their thing. <laughs> so if that blows up, we know why. But unfortunately, we have to wrap up because we are on time limits because, you know, Perfect. I can I can talk for days <laughs> if I want my help. But again, thank you so, so, so much, William. It was big pleasure. Big pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you very much uh, for inviting. It was a big pleasure. And, you know, Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year and best of luck with all your pruning and your children and everything. Thank you very much. Ciao, Victoria. Ciao. As always, a big grazie for hanging out with me today. Remember, you can catch me every Sunday on the Italian Wine Podcast, available anywhere you can get your pods.